Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your hosts, Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com. And Phil, welcome back. You had a couple weeks off. You look nice and uh, re- refreshed this I, morning. I wish I felt that way. You know, if you're following politics, you feel like your neck is on a swivel. It, I mean, it's it's whether it's a city, whether it's a state, whether it's private industry, whether it's it's public industry, I mean, whether it's public service, literally it just doesn't, and it's funny, we used to talk about how it used to be sort of a presidential thing. I don't think it's about the president. It's just, there's just so much just going keep on up. It, and in the realm of politics. It's hard to keep up. It, it, it's true. I mean, every single day, there's just more and more. Um, but the big, big story, I think, here in New York, and even nationally, has been the abrupt uh, explosion or implosion of the Amazon deal. Uh, I think that's something we haven't talked about, and I think a lot of people don't really fully understand, but you're a veteran of Queen's politics, and this really happened within the prism or within the cocoon of of internal Queen's politics. This was either going to be uh, supported or torpedoed by Queen's politicians, and I, I got a couple you know, things that really, really surprised me about this, but clearly... I think a lot of people, a lot of New York City politicians thought they were going to kind of extract and extract and extract from Amazon. And maybe they were bluffing, maybe they weren't, but they, uh, Amazon walked and they said, we don't need this. And uh, I guess it turns out that New York City probably needs Amazon more than Amazon needs New York City. But uh, Phil, tell us, tell, tell us what happened here. I mean, let's, let's be clear about where this started, right? There was a huge competition. Amazon sort of made every city across the country compete, right? And so I don't think that's an inherently a bad thing. I think Amazon, as, as a private business, should look to get the best deal they could possibly get. This, let, let's start by putting aside, it doesn't matter how big they are. It doesn't matter how much money they make. It doesn't matter about any of those things. They want to see the best deal. Now, there are ideologues out there, people who are idealistic, who think like, hey, they should have maybe taken a different city, a city that was struggling for jobs. They should have, they should have gone to a city that maybe doesn't need the infusion that New York needs. However, I think Amazon recognized what New York brought to the table in terms of a workforce, in terms of our communities, in terms of, of so many, so many different things. In addition, obviously, New York kind of tried to sweeten the pot. I don't think any of that is actually the problem. I think the problem was is that whether it was elected officials or community leaders did not feel engaged in the process of bringing Amazon to the, to the table. The first time that we heard, right, the first time we heard there was an announcement was a big glorified press conference saying, ta-da, we've won. Really didn't set out any of the details. It really didn't lay out any of the parameters. And, and this is something that you and I have talked about so many times, because what ultimately happened here was death by a thousand cuts. Every single day, some new piece of information would trickle out about the deal, about the give back, whether it was the helipad or the $3 billion or, 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 or time or day after day after day, another piece of information was introduced. Now, on its, you know, to look at it, each one of those pieces of information may not be so terrible, may not be so catastrophic. However, it was sort of they were continually it continually felt like the deal was working uphill and just not really gaining the traction they needed. But let's take it down to its simplest point here. 25,000 jobs. 25,000 jobs. New York City relies incredibly on the financial services industry for its tax revenue. And this was a way to it's already diversified. The tech industry is very large, and you know, but this is a huge shot in the arm for Long Island City, for Queens, for Long Island as a whole. And 
25,000 jobs. You just don't have a situation where one company is bringing 25,000 jobs. Oh, yes, over a couple of years. But they don't. The big thing I don't get a couple of things. I, I understand that, okay, some local leaders weren't consulted and this was done in secrecy. Bad, bad, bad. But the end result is jobs that people need in this city, high paying jobs in New York City. And just to stand on ceremony, oh, I wasn't consulted, so therefore I'm going to I'm gonna kill the deal. Or I don't really understand basic economics because the idea of tax incentives means that if you create jobs, you get the tax break in order to do that. I mean, this whole thing, you know, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and other politicians running around there saying, what can we do with $3 billion? I actually heard it in a city council hearing. What are we going to do? Well, guess what? New York City is not getting the $3 billion in tax in tax revenue because it doesn't exist because Amazon is not here creating the jobs and creating the $27 billion in expected tax revenue that would have come to that. So like for the nine to one ratio, let's just say it was even five to one. We'll cut it in half. Let's say it was four and a half to one in the, to the expectations were too rosy. Isn't that something we want? I mean, how did Democrats, how, let me put it this way, not all Democrats, but how did Democrats in this city, in New York states, not all Democrats, obviously, Andrew Cuomo was there, but certainly state Senate Democrats and city council Democrats, how did they become so anti-business? Michael, you and I both know sometimes when you have two elected officials who are running against each other, the most qualified person doesn't always win. So why is that? You can make the, the same exact argument. This was so. This was the most qualified person. Why didn't he win? Well, very simply, it's because he didn't win an election. I agree with you. Which person are we talking about specifically? We're not talking about any specific. Oh, okay, got uh, we it. We can in a few moments. Okay, However, sure. Uh, let, let's equate that to this deal. This may have been the greatest ah, deal. I see, I see. Right? This may have been the right thing to do. Let me be very clear. I supported Amazon being in New York. I think this is a terrible loss. I am. I, there, there's really no way to even quantify it because we don't even know what we've lost, right? This was going to be a game changer for Queens, a game changer for New York City, and so I absolutely agree with you. However, however, it could have been the greatest thing if you don't do the simplest communicating with local elected officials, with local tenant leaders, with local civic associations. Michael, I spent my years when I was in the state assembly literally every single night going out to community group after community group to talk about various issues, sometimes very big issues, sometimes very small issues. But that's an important part of the process. Nobody likes to be dictated to. Nobody want, You don't want anybody coming in here or coming to your house or into your life or into any, any and telling you what to do, right? Or, or trying to pretend to understand sort of the basic, you know, sort of profile of your life. Oh, you should do this. This is best for you. I get that Nobody inclusion wants to be told thing, what to but, do. but I'm talking about a little bit of a different piece here. What I'm talking about is the very, maybe it's a just total lack of understanding of economics here, that they, some people in office don't understand what a tax break or a tax incentive is. It's not cash that goes. It's not the government. I mean, people are literally. I watch press conferences where people are standing there in front in front of a camera, with the world watching, and say, "We are not going to write a check for three billion dollars to Amazon to Jeff Bezos to put it in his pocket." Uh, right? They're We're just, not. Look, That's exactly the point. We're not. Nobody suggested that. It's you know. I think that was the most potent point. But kind of a little bit how our politics has worked on both left and right here. Okay, in this country, we take non facts and people say them, or we'll also call them 
half-truths or mistruths. People say them, and then they repeat them, and they repeat them, and they repeat them enough, and everybody thinks it's true. Michael, Michael, I mean, look, I'm going to... I'm going to throw this back at you. Okay, guilty. Where did it start? All right, let's let's talk about where this wow, brand it of did politics not, it began. Did not, I, I hate to say I think it's been it's been taken to an extreme by the president, but it didn't start with the president. Okay, but but the idea that we don't have this to started be with. Hold on. If you want to keep your doctor, you could keep your doctor. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's, truthfully, I I have to tell you, I find that <laughs> because that was repeated over and over, and it was not true. It didn't start with Barack Obama either. We'll put Fine, it that but, way. But 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 who has really just owned it, right? Like, look, I'll give you a, the perfect example, and I. You see, why does everything always go back to Donald Trump? But I want to go back. <laughs> but it sh- there's but, no reason it shouldn't. But we, hold on. But go it, back to the Oval Office meeting about the shutdown, right? It starts at the top. Where, where Donald Trump gets up and says, I, this is my shutdown. He said those words Agreed. on camera. The whole Agreed. world was watching. My shutdown. I will own it. Only for literally, what, a week later, him to say, like, nope, nope. And by the way, I predicted this was going to happen. Where he basically said, like, no, this is Schumer's shutdown. This is his fault. This is his fault. You owned it. Embrace it. What happened to the point of politics where once you say something, you're, you're, you have to stand by it? You are absolutely right. The fact that there are some Democrats, and there's probably too many people who have been grandstanding on this to, to count or to, to, to pick one out, but to get up and say, like, giving away giving away $3 billion to the it's just not true, right? When you take in $10 billion or $15 billion or $20 billion and you give away 3 there's still a net gain, number one, in the jobs, number one, in the, economic, in the economic development. I mean, talk about the real estate brokers. Talk about the pizzeria owners, the small business owners, the bodega, who literally would have had that infusion of people and economics into his business. It would have been tremendous for, for Queens. And look, Michael, you live in Long Island. I mean, this would have been beneficial for people all across Long Island. This was would have been yeah. a tremendous victory for the entire region. And unfortunately, I think some elected officials pushed too far. Right, I think in their in their quest to be the most ideological and the the out left the next, I think they just pushed too far. And by the way, I would venture to say they didn't think that Amazon was going to. I I have to. Agree I don't with think that. like you know people declaring victory. We got them out. I I don't see it. I'm sorry. I see right through it. And I think in the long term, this is going to hurt the careers of certain elected officials. Now. AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I think this wasn't is, even her district, not her district. I think this is actually, though, for her in terms of her brand, I think this plays very, very well. She 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 plays as sort of the, the Democratic Socialist. Right. And so I no, think I don't think she plays it. She is. She a is. Right. She She's I mean, that's what it comes down to. She's just a socialist. But, she's kind of she's kind of unapologetic about it. That's right. the problem is I have with people who are non-socialists or at least pretend to be non-socialists oh, look, like Mike Gianaris, who at one time has styled had styled himself as a moderate, you know, when he wanted to re- run statewide. Now, I mean, he look when we have to call if we have to call anybody out. This is the guy who killed the deal. So look, I, I, he what... had he he essentially, you know, people understand he was nominated to be on a board that would have had the the ability, let's say, in a year or two or three, to go ahead and actually kill the deal. So, your Amazon, why would you take the risk of going down this road when you have an opponent, you know, sitting there? And I will tell you, I found it amazing. He actually had the courage. I think it was courageous of him to go on CNBC the next day and actually get crucified by the by the panel there. I mean, he <laughs> it was just it was incredible. And so uh, I, look, and let's. I, I want to be very very clear. I actually think look, I'm Mike Gianaris is a great friend. We go back a really long ways in 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 New York politics, and and he's someone who I got along with very very well in Albany and, and still to this day. 
But I think, and I don't think, by the way, this hurts him ultimately in his district. I think he can, he'll run for, everybody's talking about, well, you know, let's, there's a website that started yesterday with the opposition trying to, trying to drum up support for an opponent to, to Mike Gianaris in two years. I don't think this is going to hurt him in his district. I think he's very, very popular. I think he works really, really hard. However, here's what I would say is that I think he's going to have a problem if he decides to run statewide, right? He was, he was viewed as a potential sort of up and comer, somebody who could be, whether it's attorney general or governor one day, like he really had sort of these statewide operations. And I think a lot of people looked at him as, as someone who could bridge that divide between the New York city upstate and really his brand of politics, I think worked. Um, I think that's now in jeopardy. I'll take it a step further. Councilman Jimmy Van Bramer, who was already been out there raising money and, and announced his run for Queens bar president. I think that's over. I yeah. mean, I do not think Jimmy Van Bramer can be bar president anymore, because I think you have a tough time running when you ran against jobs that's essentially. right and so and, and by the way and, and let's and you and i have talked about this a lot it's because the ideal you know whether it's sort of the the aoc factor in his backyard or the fact that instead of do sometimes you have to make difficult decisions that you think are right he let the ideology sort of drive him and ultimately drive these twenty five thousand jobs out of new york city out of queens and i think that's going to hurt again if he if he's termed out of office, he couldn't run for re-election. I think in his district, I think he's still popular. He still works really hard. I think he'll still do well. But to run for bigger office, people are going to see right through it. So this is Spin Class here on the Nottingham Siegel Network. Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder. And Phil, what do you think? I mean, one of the most surprising things of this, obviously, Governor Cuomo staked a lot on this. And this was, I think, a political loss for him and being unable to deliver because he's touted New York as business-friendly. We all know that New York is not quite as business-friendly as the governor might want it to be, but this was particularly a black mark. How are you going to attract other companies to come here when you couldn't get Amazon to stay, and you can't control your own party, essentially? Now, for whatever... Not that we would expect him to control his own party, necessarily, knowing what it is, but people on the outside certainly would. They would say, it's Governor Cuomo. He's behind this deal. It's like the only thing that he and the mayor... To agree on and he can't deliver it and however the interesting thing is he didn't go ahead and target AOC for some reason he went ahead and targeted our friend Todd Kaminsky and the Senate Democrats here on Long Island and he went after them by name strangely enough what does that point to from your in your opinion I, I think the the governor's thought was that there's a moderating you know with with the push to the left right with ideological shift to the left Across the country, and especially here in New York, I think there was a thought from the governor that there is the moderates here in Long Island, a couple of seats upstate, that would try and sort of pull pull the party, pull the, the conference, the Democratic conference in the Senate, sort of back to the center. Um, obviously, that didn't happen. Ultimately, the deal got, got killed. I wouldn't necessarily would have gone as far as to sort of pick any one person out and blame them. But I think there's a thought that there's a responsibility for the more moderate members to try and 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 rein in sort of the, the most far left. I mean, I, all the all I think what he's pointing to you is that many, especially the governor, spent big money on some of these campaigns, in particular Anna Kaplan and uh, you know some of the others. Uh, Jim Gorin. Jim Gorin is actually the one guy who over and over was speaking out publicly in favor of Amazon, um, but. You could make the argument that this year some of these members don't get elected without Agreed. Governor Cuomo's help. Agreed. I, number one. I, so I, I, it's kind yeah. of funny from my from my perspective is that instead of choosing the governor who's probably more helpful to them, they sided with 
the New York City progressive wing, which doesn't help them in their reelection. I mean, if to, in Nassau County and Suffolk County, it doesn't play so much that as as well as they probably think it does. I wouldn't say that they sort of got together with the New York City progressive wing. More, I would say, is that there was a there was a continuing sign of of unity and, and collaboration amongst the Senate Democrats. Look, this is the they're they're only in their their second month of legislating as a as a. Oh, as, so they haven't figured it out yet as a leading. No, just the opposite. <laughs> I think I think. I think the goal here is to to continue to find ways to work together versus like just sort of for the sake of bluster to get up and oppose. I mean, I think behind closed doors, I think this is what the governor wanted. Behind closed doors, the Senate Dems, the moderates sort of go in and and say to Andrea Stewart-Cousins, who leads the conference, and to Mike Gianera, say, look, we understand what you want. We under, you have to understand what sort of what we think is the right thing to do. Let's find a way to bring it together. So let's bring Amazon in. So all those things that weren't but done Gianaris before. But Gianaris wouldn't even meet with them. I mean, let's let's be honest. So, so it wasn't like there was a negotiation. He basically said, I will not meet with them. Jimmy Van Bramer said, I will not meet with them. Corey Johnson said, I will not meet with them. Tremendous so, mistake. So, I mean, I, so and then they turn around mistake. and they say, blame Amazon for walking away. Well, I don't even... I, I, I Look, I have to say, and I say this as a Republican, so I'm not obviously going to... It's you could take it with a grain of salt, but appointing Mike Gianaris to the Public Authorities Control Board, which had veto power over the deal, was just a, you had to know that that was going to be a problem. You know, I don't know who that helped. I'm not even sure it helped Mike Gianaris, truthfully. I think it put him in a pickle. Uh, you know, you might not think politically, but the truth is look, the governor is the governor, everybody needs him as an ally. You might not love him as an ally. But it, to, in certain cases, you need him as an ally. The governor of New York is a very powerful position, and it doesn't make a lot of sense to poke him in the eye. Well, hold on. I, okay, I will, fine. Third term. This is this is what happens in third terms. It, it, it is. Michael, how many times have we seen it is. this? We for, have. Mayors and governors, like... This is sort of the beginning of the end, uh, right? So this like, is what it is. So people smell that already that they're saying, okay, he's weak. It's kind of like this, kind of like New York City politicians, Democrats are already abandoning Bill de Blasio because that's, look, that's exactly right. One but after I, the other. Let me bring in my personal experience. Look, when there, was, there was dozens and dozens of issues where I was a more moderate member of the New York State Assembly and I was a more moderate member representing probably a more moderate district across New York City. And I had to sort of hold the line and work behind closed doors with my conference, with my colleagues to sort of talk about certain issues and how sort of I had to kind of try and, and bring the conversation back to issues that were that ways that the issue that we were talking about were going to affect my district differently or the way it was going to be perceived in my district differently than it would be perceived in other districts. And I think that's what the governor meant. I don't think the governor should have called anybody out. But there is a responsibility when you have districts that are not the same political leanings as others, right? You have districts that are that are left, that are, are ideologically left. They're going to vote left. Like, look, we're in New, in New York City. And then you have districts in New York City even that are not as left, that are not as uh, ideologically bent. I mean, look, in Queens alone, Whitestone and Bayside and Glendale and Forest Hills and Rockaway and Breezy Point, you have... Republican district, conservative district after conservative, conservative district. Democratic district, right? That's right. Democrats. Let's right. be clear; these are yeah. all Democratic districts. They vote Democrat, but they're more conservative right. minded. Glen Oaks, Little Neck. That's right. These it, yeah. It's it, it is it is it's an, it's important for those members, right? 
now going statewide, right, across Long Island, sure. in Buffalo, who they represent more conservative districts. So what, what is the failure here? The failure just to understand that or just to say, I mean, because you got a lot of people around the state are just scratching their heads and how can this happen? Because the whole state gets affected. It's not just New York City tax revenue. It's New York State tax revenue entirely. But I think this uh, is a good segue for us to discuss upcoming Tuesday, the public advocates race. It's obviously a little known race for a little known office. And uh, there are 17 candidates running in this race. Uh, the leading Democrats all seem to be falling all over themselves to show how progressive they are. Um, and they're, uh, and our friend, uh, who I happen to be working for, uh, Eric Ulrich, uh, a Republican, although nobody's running on partisan lines, uh, could, could, according to the New York Times, uh, uh, you know, sweep in there with a little upset. So what do you think about this race, Phil? I forget about the office, whether it should be abolished or not. I think we're both kind of on the same mind of what the uh, what this actually does. But this office will be filled by somebody. Somebody's got to vote. And it's still important if you live in New York City to vote on Tuesday. So uh, handicap it for us, given the uh, given the fact that this is wide open. There might be, I don't know, 300, 350,000 voters. And uh, it's it's pretty amazing how much your vote could actually count. I mean, I mean your vote, Phil. Yeah, thank you. And I, I fully intend to vote. And I think if there's any message, and, and we'll talk about this in a moment, if there's any message that people should take away is that this coming Tuesday, literally less than a week, people have to go out and vote. Polls are open from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. Yes, it is February. Wherever you normally vote in February now, you have to go out and vote. You know, I... I'm not going to begin to tell you who to vote for, but I think it's so important. Democrat, Republican, Independent, whatever the party names are. Well, we do have official policy of non-endorsement on the show, no matter who we have relationship with. We do not with. endorse, and I appreciate you putting out, sort of letting everybody know that you are currently employed by one of the campaigns. Yes, so, that is true. But I, look, this is what you said I think is exactly right. Little known office, little known election, right? What does the public advocate actually do? And if you listen to the commercials and if you listen to the rhetoric and if you listen to the ads... You think the public advocate is probably the most powerful position in the world. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to fix this and I'm going to fix that. Look, I think the public advocate, and for our listeners who don't know, is really more of what is more of a cheerleader, I think. And I think even they would say it, right? They're, they're meant to be a bully pulpit. Bully it's pulpit. a bully pulpit. Yeah. It's a, they're meant to be a public advocate, right? They're not charged with any specific duties. They're not charged with any specific issues. They're... You know, it's it's mostly ceremonial. It's mostly, you know, you get to preside over the city council. You get to introduce bills. Um, however, it's there's no inherent power to the job. It doesn't have a very big budget, and so you don't get a, a particularly uh, a big staff. I think a lot of people look at it as potentially a stepping stone. I mean, if you take a look at the last two public advocates, the last one was was Tish James. Uh, Tish James, who's now serving as our attorney general. And so it clearly was a good stepping stone from her. She was in the city council. She ran for public advocate. And then it was a good stepping stone to be attorney general. Before her was a little known, uh, little known man named Bill de Blasio. Ah, he yes. was in the city council, ran for public advocate, served as the public advocate, and then ran for mayor. And obviously, as we all know, he ultimately won. And so, and so uh, I think... What that tells you is, is that it could potentially be a good platform for running for the next office. In terms of, of a race like this, I mean, Michael, and, and I'd be interested, I mean, I was out last night and talking with folks who said, well, the over-under, the person who wins, will they get over-under 10% of the vote? And I actually, and, and I'd I love think to hear your I thought. think 10% will be a little bit, it was a little I bit I think low. 5%. The winner will be 5%? I think the winner will be 7%. I don't know how that's, 7% of the, of the of vote total? 
of the vote total. I th- I I don't see how that could possibly happen. I mean, I mean I, that, to me, like it, it, I think I mean I think you're looking somewhere between fifteen and twenty for for the for the winner. I, I think you're gonna have. I think you have a lot of people bunched up at the very bottom. Um, Agreed. So I right, think, we're gonna. There's gonna be I, th- I think. Candidates although I think the 1%. difference between let's say one and seven or one and eight, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, the difference between them could be as little as, let's say, 15,000 votes, which is really, really close. I mean, you could have, and, and just just remember, this is a special election. There's no party labels. There's no runoff. So it's just, and it's a plurality. So you don't need 51%. You don't need 40%. You don't need 30%. You don't need 20%. I mean, as you said, you don't even need 5%. But I don't see how that's happened. I think there are enough... There's enough constituencies supporting. Maybe I'm biased, right? Like, so I I'm very close with many people who are in this race. As you mentioned, Councilman Ulrich and I, he served in the city council in overlapping districts in my old assembly district. Assemblyman Mike Blake served. We served together in, in, in Albany. Assemblyman Ron Kim. Assemblyman Danny O'Donnell. Councilman Rafael Espinal, somebody who I serve with, who's been a, a very, very close fl- friend. I mean, like literally up and down the ticket. These are my closest friends. And I told all of them that I will not tell them who I'm voting for. I wish I could vote for more than one. But here's the thing. I think each of them come with their own specific, right? Uh, former Councilman Melissa Mark Favorito, Councilman Udonis Rodriguez. Each one of them, obviously I, I left off Councilman Jamani Williams. Each one of them arguably comes. Who's clearly not your friend. Everybody's my friend. <laughs> we actually, me and, and Jamani went to college together, and so we have a long, long history okay, together, okay. and so we we go back a long way. Our politics don't always align, but but that's okay. We could still be friends. Each one of them comes with a natural base, right? For most of the candidates, and I, I don't know the numbers, maybe it's 10 candidates, are all either were previous or current elected officials or, or office holders, which means that they come with a base of people who have already voted for them one time and are more yeah, likely to Yeah, but some of those bases are very small. An assembly district, is a, as you know, is is not, percentage-wise in the city, is not a huge... I mean, look, if I were running for public advocate, I'd, be, I'd clearly be the front-runner no because of, of, my, of what I perceive as my base. And right? there are a lot of people scratching their heads to think about why you didn't run. I, it was a great opportunity I'm, for because you. Because I'm still exploring my presidential options in the primary coming up. Um and I didn't want to distract myself with this race, but I think you're going to see a, a very, very low turnout. Yes. And every single candidate doing the best they can to draw their base out, right? But there's no, and this is, and I'm going to say it, and I am not being paid, and I have I have said this from, from day one in that the person who can expand that base or can sort of prove the largest piece of, of that natural pie without the, the, the nature of pol- political pushing, meaning who's the most likely to go out and vote and how do you predict? And I'd have to give Councilman Ulrich kind of a little bit of an advantage just because, again, all party labels aside, right? Because he's well, not he's running the only on the Republican one competing when, you th- when it comes down to is the only one competing for the uh, it's interest- for the Republican vote, essentially, the conservative vote. Nicole Malley talks when she runs, she got 28% of the vote in New York City. Now, everybody says, well, it's not enough, but it would be enough to win this race. If you So a Republican can get votes in New York City. They can't always win in New York City, but they can certainly get votes I mean, take a look York at the City. last borough president race in Queens, right? There was, I think, over 100,000 people who voted for a no-name Republican versus who I arguably think is was a great borough president, Melinda Katz, right? And so that proves there are... Conservative but, Democrats correct. or Republicans who believe now will they come in a out as, ideology? Well, they will come out as the question, and and you know you have, and I think this is a problem for Democrats in general. They all seem to be falling over themselves to be 
more pre- everybody's anti-Amazon. Everybody cheer at the end of the Amazon deal. Everybody is, you know, is nobody's pro-police. Nobody has staked out. It's strange enough that you have all these Democrats there and nobody staked out that middle ground in between where Eric Ulrich is on the more conservative side and between Jumani Williams. Oh, look, I don't think Eric is that conservative. I know Eric well, very, no, very he well. Might, he might not be, but he <laughs> I can, think Eric so he can appeal. Be... Look, he got the Daily News endorsement. Daily News is not a conservative paper. Agree, but I think the Daily News argument was very, very different in that Eric would unlikely be able to run for re-election. He wouldn't actually win the next time. So picking Eric allows the democratic process to play out right in but they don't but they way. won't endorse anybody without Correct. actually supporting but I, i'd be remiss if i didn't say they also sort of were very complimentary of michael blake um who i still think regardless of what happens here has a very very bright future but they're also very complimentary of michael blake who out of all the candidates kind of towed that more pragmatic line about what's in the best interest of the city yeah, versus except, just sort of except, except he didn't actually going to the left. He supported Amazon before he didn't, and then didn't. Like you know, he had a John Kerry moment. Let's put it that way. Yeah, with but, regard but take to a Amazon. look at all these people who are against the Amazon deal who sign on to the letter supporting sort of New York's application to bring Amazon right, or supporting New York's bid to bring Amazon here, and so. Arguably, you could say that for everybody. Going back to Amazon, I think the whole process was just flawed from from the beginning, the way the governor and the mayor rolled it out into ultimately where it is. But I think you see that in elected office and elected politics today on the presidential scale, all the way down to the city council and to this race. And so, I look, I, I think that the most everybody's going to compete. I think the winner is going to get less than 10%. Wow. I, 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 look, that's my prediction. Let's I, see. I have been wrong before. <laughs> I have based my own... I've based campaigns that i've run on on, you, on certain candidates doing better than but you know don't. but you know the 23rd assembly district you know the rockways you know this area which is eric or home turf and if you think about it if you're predicting it's going to be that low then let's just microcosm let's say the jewish vote in far rockaway could be like one percent of the vote it's it's when you think about it it's incredible citywide could be so you take the magnify the jewish vote around the city I mean, that's actually a very significant number. I think the Jewish community has the opportunity to be the kingmaker I in this vote. I agree, but as you and I both know, and we are both very, very well aware, is that sadly, the Jewish vote doesn't turn out. Um, well, we will, tend to be more apathetic. And so I, I credit you for trying to get those numbers up and trying to get everybody involved. I think every, that's that's the, the job of every one of the candidates in this race. Okay, well, that's it here on Spin Class here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs. 